I, I grew up singing hymns, and so um, the worship team folks know. Um, the older and more familiar they are, the more it speaks to my soul. Thank you so much, Jamie, worship team, for leading us in that. Um, last, uh, last Sunday, last Sunday, um, did I lost sort of count track. There was 30-some, somebody counted, folks, um, that waited for prayer for healing. Um, I wound up praying for like hour and 10 minutes for folks. A little, yeah. Um, and um, it was powerful. And I, I, I wanted to mention a couple of things. One is um, the staff and the leaders, we've been talking about this need for a prayer night specifically to pray for healing and it was just confirmation last Sunday that our feeling of that was not something that we were thinking of but that it was really the work of the Holy Spirit um, and so I, I want you to know that um, to keep your eyes open and ears open because we're in the midst of prayer <laughs> we're in the midst of prayerfully praying for a prayer night and on when that might be, okay? Uh, we, would, we would do it like tomorrow, okay? Uh, but I just sense there's a need for us to do this well and do this right, you know, um, as we continue to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, uh, we're praying that that would happen sometime in November, sometime in November this year. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's just gonna be an entire evening just of worship and prayer and worship and prayer, okay? Uh, secondly, and I'm thankful that... Um, uh, uh, Jamie and the worship team led us in that last tune because if you've been with us, we are on this discipleship series. And one of the things that we've had to really come to grips with is what it means to follow Jesus and the cost of following Jesus. And I loved what Jamie said when she said that it's something that we have to choose like every day. We choose it every day. We choose it every day. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We choose it every day. Romans 12, offer your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, right? And I don't know if you ever thought about this. The reason why Paul says offer your bodies as living sacrifices is what happens when you put a living animal on the altar with fire? You know what that animal's going to do? I'll tell you what it's going to do. It's going to get the heck off of the altar. And I love the way Paul says it because the reality is you and I are not going to want to stay at the altar. The hotter it gets, Challenging, difficult. We're going to say, I'm done. Uh, and Paul is saying, make it a choice every single day to say, I'm going to get back on the altar. Make it a choice to say, today, I choose to follow Jesus and all that it entails. This is not easy. This is not natural. This is, I, 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 maybe it's just me. Does anybody find it natural, normal to like die to yourself? Do you find it natural, normal, and easy to be like not self-absorbed? Do you find it natural and easy to not have the world revolve around you? I don't. I have to get up every single morning going, what my natural self doesn't want to do, in submission to Jesus, I will. So I'm going to get back on the altar once again and die. Did you know that that's what you were choosing when you chose to be a Christian? And so we've been talking for the last several weeks about why some of us that grew up in the modern church in America struggle with this because we were sold a bill of, I don't know what we were sold, 
but that's not the Christian life Jesus called us to. That's why we're, we're on this series called Follow Me, and we're talking about discipleship. And, and today, in this larger series that I have no idea how long it's going to go, I've said that many times. As we, as we continue this series, we're pivoting a little bit because we've been, we spent the last five, six talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus, and now we're pivoting to actually what does it mean then to invite others to follow Jesus because the last command of Jesus, the last command of Jesus to his disciples was what? Do you remember? Go and make disciples. <laughs> Of all nations, Matthew 20, if you grew up in church, this is like, it's, it's almost as familiar as John 3, 16, right? And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the very ends of the age. And you need to know something, and that is this, despite what we might think, contrary to popular belief, Jesus didn't spend the vast majority of time working for justice or caring for the poor or preaching or healing people. He did those things, absolutely, but they weren't the focal point of how he spent his entire life. The way he spent his entire life is he chose a group of people and he poured himself into them. And after pouring himself into them for a little plus three plus years, he turned to them and said, he said, everything I taught you, everything that I said, I need you to go teach someone else. Because Jesus, I think, had a much longer view of how the change in the world was going to come than some of us. Listen, let me just put it this way. If the work that I'm doing if the work that I'm doing ends when I die, then I didn't fulfill Jesus' call on my life. If the work that I am doing, please listen, if the work that I'm doing, no matter how good it is, stops the moment I disappear, I didn't fulfill my kingdom assignment. It might be good for my ego. It might be good for my ego if all that I'm doing all of a sudden comes crashing down the moment I step away. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. Jesus says, I need this work to continue long after you're gone. Because this isn't about you, Peter. And not about you, Daniel Espada. And not about you, Carlton. Not about any one of us. He says, this needs to continue long. And Jesus says, so what I'm going to do it's because I care for justice, the poor, preaching, teaching, I'm going to pour myself in a group of people who will continue this work. And you know what? It worked. Rodney Starks wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. It's a must-read for anyone who wants to learn what, what the first early church was like. Okay? I read this book in seminary, and in this, he's a sociologist, a religion scholar. He, in, he, he chronicles the growth of the early church. And, and then check this out, church. By the end of the year 100 AD, there are fewer than 10,000 Christians in the Roman Empire. Okay? And the population at the time is about 60 million people, which means the number of Christians made up one hundredth of one percent. Quickly jump to the year 200. 
a little more than a than hundred years later, there are now 200,000 Christians, but it's still a tiny fraction, okay? Under 1% of the large Roman Empire. Jump to the year 250 AD. Now there are about a million Christians in the world, but still small. 2% of the larger Roman Empire. By 300, year 300, that jumps to 10% of the population, almost 6 million people. But by 350 AD, all of a sudden, something happens. And there are 33 million Christians in Rodney Stark says, they make up more than 55% of the Roman Empire. Do you know what I was reminded of when I saw this? It's when Jesus says in Matthew 13, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's like this tiny little seed, unrecognizable, but man, it grows and grows and grows and grows, and it becomes the largest plant in the garden, a tree that... Think about this. This happened, think about, come on. This happened when A, being a Christian was illegal. You could be killed for proclaiming Jesus as Lord, because that was what? It was treason. Caesar's Lord. Caesar's Lord. How, you could, when Christians were persecuted left and right, Nero, these are emperors. Nero had a habit of using human beings as torches to light the streets of Rome. For entertainment, they threw Christians into the Colosseum to be eaten by the lions while tens of thousands of people watched. This is a time, in, this is a time when there are no pastors, there are no church buildings, there are no budgets, there's no, and yet Christianity exploded. And you go, how in the world did this small thing that started with some obscure rabbi in the backwoods of the Roman Empire with a bunch of uneducated, uncultured people take over the Roman world? I'll tell you how. Disciple making disciples. Disciple making disciples. They go, wow, that was way back then. Does it happen today? Did you know that in 1950, there were about 2 million Christians in China? Again, China. When Christianity is not what it is here, it, China, underground churches. Today, most scholars estimate that there are over 120 million Christians in China. How do they do that? They don't have mega churches and build it. I'll tell you how. Disciple making disciple, 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 disciple. To China, I'm going, what are we doing? <laughs> What are we doing in America? And then listen, I'm not, I'm not knocking every church. I'm not knocking every church. Like, I'm going, how did we get to this place where if I, well, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to be discouraged. If I said to you, how many of us are being discipled right now by somebody and discipling someone? Raise your hand. I'm afraid that, oh, there might be a small person. I'm even talking about people that have been in our church for years. So I'm not, I'm not abstaining myself from this. Let me show you something on, on, on how the Christian movement, if you will, has happened throughout history and continues to. Book of Acts, written by a guy named Luke, who's a doctor, wrote two books, Book of Luke in the Gospels and Book of Acts. Acts chronicles the growth of the early church, right? And here's what we find. I'm jumping to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, it says, verse 1, on that day, the day is when Stephen was martyred for his faith, the first Christian martyr. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And follow this. All except the apostles. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So right now, Acts 8 is still a Judaic movement. Mostly Jews. It's in Jerusalem. And then 
persecution. Then Acts 11, check this out. Verse 19, those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word. Verse 20, check this out, underlined by, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The church in Antioch is the first sort of major Gentile church, if you will, the gospel goes, that becomes a sending church, the missionary church that takes the gospel to the rest of the known world. It's the church church that commissions Paul and Barnabas, right? Did you catch who planted the church in Antioch? Verse 20. Some of them. Who? We don't even know their names. Unnamed, unknown disciples of Jesus are the reason why you and I are sitting here today. Is that powerful? For 300 years, unnamed, unknown disciples of Jesus, ordinary people took the gospel and their faith and made disciples. The first Christian church, the movement spread like a virus because it was a, it was a, it was a movement by disciples and not <clears throat> consumers. You can't build a movement on consumers because consumers, the moment that it no longer meets their needs, they're like, we're out. We live in a world today where we use the words like church shopping, church hopping, like it's normal language. I'm going to tell you something right now. There are some of you here who come and you go, I want to see if I like the preaching. He yells a lot. But if you can kind of ignore that, I think sometimes he has some things worth saying. I want to see how the worship is. The worship, you know, like today was a little, I don't know, it felt a little white and hymnal to me. I want to come back when it's more gospel. Let me tell you something. If you are determining how good our church is by me and the worship, you are missing the best part. The, hey! best, the best part of our church is the people. The best part of our church is the people, and you cannot get to know the people by sitting here on Sundays. Amen. You really want me to? Yes. <laughs> you will not know the best part of our church by this or the worship. I am telling, I'm not just saying this, just to say, the best, of our best part of our church is the people and you can't get to know the people by church shopping. You can't. It's like we got it backwards. The way you're supposed to find church is to go long enough to get to know the people and then go, do I like the preaching? Do I like the worship? Not the modern church, which is, do I like the preaching? Do I like the worship? Then I'll, what about the people? Strap on your seatbelts, church. This is where we're going today. So we're talking about discipleship. It's what Jesus was about. New Testament was about. This is about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples. And I don't know why, talking about disciples, hey, they're up in the balcony, people. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. I'm just recognizing people that come late. <laughs> I, 
I'm, I don't know I'm on edge today. You know, I woke up great. I woke up rested. Today was a good morning. I don't know. So if this feels a little edgy to you, so, can, 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 for anything that I've said so far, can anybody like, does anybody resonate with what I'm saying? And say amen. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so discipleship. And, and, and just to catch you up, because I see a lot of visitors and new people. Listen, here's where we've been, okay? We've been talking about discipleship. And here's how we define disciples. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, first and foremost, right? Disciple is someone who follows Jesus. And we said this. It's not about praying a prayer when you were in sixth grade. It's not about going to church. It's not about those things can lead you to following Jesus, but they're not how you follow. Life of following Jesus is about a whole life commitment to the whole person of Jesus. Discipleship, we've been saying, it's not a class you take, but it's the course of your life. It's not a class you take, but the course of your life. A disciple is someone, check this out, who learns from Jesus how to live your life as he would live your life if he were you. Those of us in the modern church, it's almost like we think that Christianity is Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. We, we, we talk so much about Christmas, and we talk so much about the death of Christ, which is great. But then I go, what about everything in between? What about the three years, the vast majority of the Gospels, where Jesus actually lived and taught? The Gospels is about us not just believing in his birth, Christmas, believing in death and resurrection, Good Friday, Easter, but it's about saying, how did Jesus live? And how do I get him to live in my life as if he were me? So here's what that means. Let me just, that means that if you are a follower of Jesus, you should be able to look back a year from now and go, I'm a different person. I'm a different person because I'm following Jesus. Can I, can I ask you something? Can I ask you something? If you look back right now, a year ago, have you grown? Are you different? If we're following him, we should, No. And by the way, this makes the whole making disciples really easy for me. You know what it is? It's just inviting people into your life to see how Jesus makes a difference in your life. Discipleship, inviting people into your life, because if I'm following him, how he would live my life if he were me, then I should, in my normal everyday life, be about Jesus. And this person's like, oh, so that's how Jesus, yeah, that's discipleship. Secondly, disciple is someone who invites other people to follow Jesus, right? We've looked at Jesus constantly saying to disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers. And follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And that's not some isolated thing that we see. It's all over the gospels. And how disciple is someone who invites others. Mark three fourteen, and he, Jesus, appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. It's never just that you're with him. He says, no, you're with me, now go make disciples. You're with me, now go make disciples. Being a disciple, making disciples are inextricably linked, which means in Jesus' mind, if you are not making disciples, he's going, are you a disciple? Are you one? Because they, they, they were never. Third, disciple is someone who what? Follow Jesus in community. Do you know why we're always talking about community, 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 community? Community is the context where you practice discipleship. Let me say that again. This is why it's for the New Testament, it's foreign for a disciple of Jesus to go, ah, the church community. Jesus goes, if you do, then you've created something, your own religion. But you're not. Jesus says, the community is the context in which you live out and practice what you're learning from me. 
John 13, 34. A new command I give you, right? He says, what? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why? Because by this, all men will know that you are my disciple. What is he saying? He's saying, the community is a place in which you learn to love like I loved you. In other words, practice what it means to follow Jesus. So how in the world can you and I live as disciples without community? You can't. Where do, you, where do you live out all the one another commands, which, as I said, is sort of the, sort of the, 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 the thing that love one another is what it's really about? How do, you, how do you serve, encourage, exhort? How do you teach? How do you admonish? How do you correct? How do you, how do, you do all these things? How do you one another without one another? By the way, this is why we say serving the church, listen, is the way you love this church. See, see I want to say it again. Serving the church is the way you love this church. John 13, 34, this command comes out of what? What happens early John 13? Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And he says, as I have done, now do unto others. He's saying, the way you show love, practice my love, discipleship, is by serving. This is why we say serving is not heroic. We shouldn't applaud you for serving. Would any one of us applaud someone who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I'm living like a Christian? Yes. No, we wouldn't. That's silly. Why? That's what you do. That's what you do. It's normal. Now. Of course, we encourage and we're grateful for it, but we shouldn't lower the bar and capitulate to our culture. I'm tired of capitulating to culture. I'm tired of the culture dictating what it means to follow. Anybody else sick of that? I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. So I'm so grateful for Jamie's leadership this morning and saying, we choose this, guys, and it's hard. So here's what we're doing, okay, guys? Because if you've been on this journey, as we kind of now you know, kind of, kind of pivot to not making disciples. Let me just say a couple of things and then and I, I have noticed over the years as a pastor that when people don't know what to do, they don't do anything at all. Let me say that one more time. When people know what to do, they don't do anything at all. So disciple making, we want to make it as like practical and as tangible as possible because when you feel like, what does it look like? What does it mean? Most of us are going to be like, I'm not going to do it, right? So we're going to make it very practical. And you know your pastor. I'm not the best at practical things. You know what I'm saying? I just point to the cross and go, do it. <laughs> I'm not this. So I'm going to invite other voices and other people who are like, it's not your strength. Let me help you. Okay? I appreciate the body. Here's how we practically communicate what it is. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have lots and lots of folks to come and do that. But before we do that, here's what I want to do. Today, I'm going to, at the end, lay a theological foundation because that's what I do, and I love doing that. But before we get there, Matthew 28, I want to make some broad, broad anchoring points about disciple making. Are you with me? All right. So here's, so today's going to feel like an overview a little bit, okay? But, but I want to make these overview, and then we'll, like I said, at the end, just, just delve a little bit into Matthew 28, like the biblical theological foundation. Number one, here's, so about disciple making. Number one, disciple making is for all and not for some. I know that's like, well, why do you even talk about that? Because the reality is there's some of us sitting here going, that's, that's, that's for you, that's for, not for me, that's for super Christian seminary. No, it's for everybody. 
Where do you get that from? If you've been in a new community, this is something, this is a passage we come to again and again and again. Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed the 72 and he sent them out to preach and to heal. Who are the 72? Why 72? Nothing random happens in the Gospels. Why that number? In order to make sense of that number, you need to go back to Luke 9, which is a chapter before Luke 10, and see something that Jesus did. Luke 9, here's what we find. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Here's the thing. Luke 9, Jesus sends the 12 apostles, okay? If we only had Luke 9 and Luke 10, most of you would be like, making disciples for pastors. We pay you to do that. That's your job. Me, I just bring my friends to church. You could say that if we only had Luke 9. But why do we have Luke 10? Who are the 72? The ancient writers will tell you, and the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Septuagint, in Genesis 10, we find what's called the Table of the Nations. It is the reconstitution of humanity after the flood. And what we find in the table of the nations is how many nations? 70 what? Two. Author Genesis is saying 72 is everybody. It's all the people. Why does Jesus intentionally pick 72? Because he's saying the tendency is going to be for most of the people to go, that's for seminary and professors, super spiritual. He's saying this is not for some, but for what? For everyone. Can I just say one more thing? The modern church has trained you guys to go, if I could just bring my friends to church and invite them, Peter, you do the work. First of all, do you know how much pressure that is? Can I just be honest? Can I just be honest? Do you know how much pressure? Can anybody relate? Of course you can't. That's why you do it. If you knew how much pressure, you wouldn't. Listen, listen, listen. To be all serious, you're taught that because you don't understand what the New Testament says. The New Testament, Ephesians 4 says, I equip you to do the work. It's not my job to lead them to Christ. You walk with them. You journey with them. You do life with them. And you are more than capable of what? Leading them to Jesus. So the next time you go, <laughs> I'm going to invite you to church. And my pastor, and then Peter gets up there and he preaches a really, really hard sermon. And your friend's like, what was that about? I won't go back to church. I need you to remember, it's not his job. He participates and works with, but I am called to walk with. Can I get an amen? Secondly, disciple-making is doable. I felt so silly writing this point. It doesn't even, it, you know, I like, I'm, I like fancy words. It, it, it's, making disciples is doable. Come on, Peter, you could do better. Make it more, you know. No, this, this is as plain as it gets. You know why I say this? Because some of us only think of discipleship in terms of this holy, spiritual, mature, wiser person who takes on a younger, immature. And so a lot of us go, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not experienced. I don't have the maturity. I need to get my issues together. And by the way, yes, we do need to get our issues together, okay? But I, and we just kind of go, I can't. My own story is that I did have older, wiser people who mentored and discipled me. 
But most of my life, discipleship came in the form of my peers or people that weren't that much further along. I said it this way. It was people who were in Mark chapter 3 when I started reading Mark chapter 1. They weren't scholars in the book. Mark chapter 3. And they said, look, I'm just two chapters ahead of you. So let's do this together. And if you go on, but that's not what Jesus, ah, I mean, it's a good thing you asked about Jesus because this is what Jesus said, right? John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you what? Friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I mean to you. Jesus looked at discipleship, not just as I am the son of God, which he was. He says, discipleship is one friend saying to another friend, here's what I'm learning from the father. Let's learn this together. Here's what I'm learning from God. Let's learn this together. Now, I'm going to take off my glasses for this. That means I'm getting serious. Here's two things I want to say about this not being doable. For some of us, I need to remind us that you don't know what you don't know. One of the biggest barriers to discipleship, I think, in our modern-day culture is this attitude that some of us have that says, I don't need to learn anything. Nobody needs to mentor me. Nobody teach me. And can I just say, a lot of that is insecurity and arrogance. This may be like two two people in here, so I'm just going to speak to two of you. If you don't have anyone discipling you because your posture is one of, I don't need anybody. If that is you, I implore you. I, impl- I know a lot of it is about insecurity and making yourself known. I get it. I've been there, and I am there a lot of times too. But don't you want to grow in your emotional health? Don't you want to grow in your racial and ethnic identity? Don't you want to learn how to be a better husband? Don't you want to be a better friend? Don't you want to learn and grow and not be immature? I mean, at some point, at some point, we got to put ourselves out there and go, ah, I want to grow in this area. And I think that you, a bit further along, will you spend some time with me? At some point, we have to initiate some of this, con- humbling ourselves, initiate some of this conversation saying, hey, I want to grow in this area. Can you walk with me? How many of you are doing that? How many of us are doing that? Let me talk to some other people. For some of us, the challenge for some of us is you got the opposition, which is you're walking around going, I have nothing to offer. I don't. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have gifts, talents, abilities, things that God is doing in your life. And God wants to use you to impact lives around you. Can I get an amen? You, some of us, I don't know who it is, but some of us, the challenge is we need to recognize there are some things that God has taught me, is teaching me, and there are some things that I can make an impact on. And so I will make myself available and invite people to journey. We need both of these things to happen in our church. Can I get an amen? I've said this before. For some of us, we've hit a ceiling spiritually because there's no other way to grow spiritually outside of helping someone else grow. I'm going to say it again. You cannot grow spiritually if you are not helping someone else grow. First of all, when you help someone else grow, for the first time in your life, the focus is no longer on us. It's finally on somebody else. 
And secondly, when I help someone else grow, it forces me to learn. It forces me to grow. It forces me to depend that much more on the Holy Spirit. New community. Can we be a church that's committed to discipleship growing? Can I get an amen? Third, discipleship making is something that we do and not just talk about. My fear, I almost want to preach, I almost want to preach bad sermons during this series. I almost, do you know why? Because I'm, I'm afraid that some of you are like, oh, that was so good. I'm going I'm to jot that down. Oh, yeah. And then we go in our small groups, we talk about it. Wasn't that, wasn't that so interesting? And ain't nobody in that group going, mm, are you doing it? I said this, I've said this like four weeks in a row, mainly because I get a rise out of Carlton. So I'm going to say it one more time. Most of us are educated well beyond our obedience. Okay, I just got finger snaps this morning. I do know how you feel. Most of us are educated well beyond. I am tired. I am tired. I am tired of knowledge-based discipleship rampant in America. I am tired of the fact that we think just because you cram your head full of information that we think we're growing. I am tired and I am exhausted. Do you know that in the Hebrew mind, worship is to obey? This is why King Saul is confronted by Samuel, and he says what? To obey is better than sacrifice. The question is not, do you think caring for the poor is a good idea? The question is, are you caring for the poor? The question is not, do you think prayer is important? Ain't nobody in there going to say prayer is not important. The question is, are you what? Praying. The question is not, do you think making disciples is a good thing? The question is, are you and I making disciples? One of these passages in Scripture that's always sobering to me is James chapter 1, verse 21. Do not merely listen to the word, and so what? Not strong language. Deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's strongly. James is literally saying for anybody sitting here going, I'm listening to a sermon. Mm, yep, it's doable. Mm -hmm. It's for all, not for some. Boy, that's and you actually think you're growing spiritually because you're listening to a sermon. You actually think your life is changing because you're listening to a sermon. And the Bible says, it's when you obey. Can I just say something real quick? Sometimes the reason why we're not hearing God is because we're not obeying. What do you mean, Peter? God has said, I've given you a number of things clearly laid out to do. And then we're over here going, what about my future? What kind of a job? Mr. and Mrs. Wright, who do I marry? God, all these unknown things in the future. And God goes, why would I give you clarity about things that you don't know when you have no intentions of doing things that you do know? Why do you guys keep asking me to say stuff again? <laughs> Listen, I repeat myself enough times already. You know what I'm saying? That's why I preach so long. You said that like 10 times. I know. So you're just egging me up. God sometimes goes, listen, God sometimes goes, listen, listen. 
God sometimes goes, the problem is that you don't know what to do. The problem is that you don't do what you know. So let me be really clear. Do not expect to hear from God about your future, Mr. and Mrs. Wright career. Do not expect God to hear from God if you are not obeying things he's clearly said, like forgive, like love, like make disciples. Making disciples is a supernatural overflow of being a disciple. Lastly, see the thing is this, guys. If I need to come up here every week and go, make disciples, come on, please. <laughs> We're not doing this right. We're not. Proclaiming the love of Christ is the overflow of sharing in the life of Christ. When God is on your mind, he will come out of your mouth. So the question is, are we sharing in the life of Christ? Are you abiding in him? Are you abiding in him? Are you experiencing intimacy with him? Because if you are, nobody has to come up here and go, make this up. You're going to be like, I want some people to walk with. This is what evangelism, evangelism, you know that dirty word. (laughs) Oh, no, don't talk about evangelism, which to me is pre-conversion discipleship. We'll talk about next week, right? It's not evangelist discipleship, it's pre-conversion. Evangelist is simply you experience and counting the love of God, the intimacy with Christ, sweetness of fellowship with him that you can't help but talk about him. If you have to be guilt-tripped, manipulated, forced, do it. Share the gospel. Don't you love Jesus? We're not doing it right. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry if Christians like shoved the Bible down your throat, if some Christian came and said, do you believe? Because that's not how this is supposed to be. Do you know, if you're not a Christian, do you know why we talk about Jesus? Because we found the pearl of great price. Do you know why we talk about Jesus to you? Because we're going, he has changed me. I just want you to know. To Christians, I'm saying, are you that passionate about Jesus? Do you know how many people came up to me after last Sunday and said, Peter, you know when you just flat out ask, do you love Jesus? One person said, I started weeping because I realized I've been in church all my life. And when you said that, my honest answer was, I don't know if I love Jesus. It should be the natural overflow. So begin at the feet of Jesus. Take on the posture of Mary, abide in him, saying, God, you're all I need. This fellowship in us with you is so incredible. <sighs> this is so convicting for me. Because as I look at my life and go, does Jesus, Peter, naturally, not in an offensive way, naturally, Come out of your mouth and your life. Do, do people sense that you're in love with Jesus? Matthew 28, the Great Commission text, actually begins in verse 16, not 18. Did you know that? 
even in the original language. It doesn't begin 18. The reason why I want to stay in 16 is because I think there are a couple principles for us to learn, and then I'm done, okay? We're going to end a little early today. I know. Because <laughs> I kept you all here really long last week. Matthew 28. Laying some theological foundations. Here we go. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Here we find the priority of disciple making. Everybody, can you look up here? Why does Matthew make it a point to go the 11? We looked at the other texts today. He always... Disciples are referred to as the 12. Why does Matthew intentionally go and the 11? Who is he referring to? Did you ever think about this? Judas lived with Jesus for three years. He was there for miracles, for every teaching. He was there probably for Lazarus. And yet, he never knew Jesus. Judas never knew him. But how is that possible? It's not possible to come to church every Sunday and not know Jesus. It's not possible to be in small groups all my life and not know Jesus. It's not possible to be doing justice work. Oh my gosh, look at all they're doing and not know Jesus. To which we say what? Look, look, this is making me uncomfortable doing this today. But I got to ask. Maybe some of us don't know Jesus. I'm not saying that in a self-righteous, no, no, no. I'm just, because there are one of these passages in the New Testament where I'm like, oh, I wish you didn't say that, Jesus. Matthew 7 is one of them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who what? Does the will. There's that obedience thing again. There's that practice thing again. Verse 22, many will see to me on the day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? He was a great preacher. And in your name, drive out demons. They were so spiritual, spectacular miracles. And you're performing miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from evildoers. And then verse 24, you can't forget that. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into pra practice. Again, you got to live it. It's like a man who built this house on the rock. So the question is, <laughs> are you Judas? Am I Judas? Am I someone who is doing... Judas fooled everybody masquerading as a disciple. What do you mean? Do you remember at the Lord's Supper, Jesus goes, uh, um, one of you will betray me. And the disciples said, what? What? Who? Is it me? No. None of them knew. I'm getting chills down my back right now. 
That means among us can be someone who is doing everything and all of us are going, man, they're no better Christian than her or him. Listen, I'm just asking you, this isn't, <laughs> I sound like a 1920s preacher, you know, in a tent revival. Do you, are you, I'm just, listen, calmly, I'm just asking you because I love you and care about you. Do you know him? Are you following him? Do you realize it's possible to know a lot about Jesus and not know Jesus? Yes. Look at the culture we live in. Let me, just, let me just look at the culture we live in. We have celebrities who are famous for just being famous. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. We have social media. We have a culture in which you think you know somebody. You care about somebody. When in fact, we what? You know a lot about them. You might even be stalking them on Instagram. And you go, oh, I really care about them. They care about, they don't care about you. They don't know you. Beyonce doesn't know you. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Beyonce doesn't care about you either. Can we, listen, is it possible that we're doing that with Jesus? Is it possible that we know a lot about Jesus? Oh, good crying out. You can come up here and preach this sermon. I know where he grew up. I know what he liked to eat. I know what, you can say all kinds of things, but you're missing out on deep abiding in him. You're missing out on intimacy with him. You're missing out on what it means to know him. You're missing out on what it means to come to him as you are and experience his grace of accepting you as you are. Can I get an amen? The gospel that says you don't have, listen, the gospel that says you don't have to airbrush. You don't have to put on filters. You don't have to crop it. Jesus says, come as you are, messed up, broken, and I will Do you know him like that? Another thing, do you realize that you could fool yourself into thinking that you're growing spiritually when all you're doing is being in an environment that makes you think you're growing spiritually? Hello, somebody. I imagine Judas was like, man, I am so with it. I am experiencing all these kinds. Listen, I have people say to me, come up. This is one of those things where I smile now. People go, you know, Peter, uh, I think I'm going to check out another church. Why? Then they they go, I'm not growing here spiritually. Or that church language, I'm not being fed. I just want to mention 65% of Americans are obese. Is it really, listen, is it really about being fed? Because here's what happens to that person. They go to another church and they're like, this is the environment and then it wears off and then they go to another church and then another church you have to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth somebody started clapping to that nobody can do that for you stop it with the second hand spirituality if the only way that you are hearing from God is through someone who has heard from God that's not right John 10 my sheep know my voice you have the ability to listen to God. If you're checking out our church, I want to tell you this pastor's preaching philosophy. I don't tell you what to do. I simply teach you how to think and point you towards Jesus. That's all I do. Are you growing spiritually? Because you yourself are taking ownership of it. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Kevin, come on up. What are they doubting? What are they doubting? 
At first, we think that they're doubting Jesus, right? Because throughout the gospel, Jesus is constantly dealing with disciples' unbelief that he said he was the son of God. But I don't think that this is what they're doubting. I don't think that this is the fourth time in the gospels that Jesus, resurrected Jesus, has appeared to disciples. John 20, he appears to disciples, Thomas isn't there. John 20 later, seven, eight days later, Jesus is there and Thomas is there. John 21, Jesus at the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. This is the fourth time Jesus, the risen Jesus appeared. I don't think that's what they're doubting. Who are they doubting? They're doubting what? I think they're doubting themselves. I can, I'm just curious, can, can anybody relate to doubting yourself? Anybody? Because they're sitting there going, wait, he said that we were going to be like sheep among wolves. Wait, he, he, he said that they will hate you on account of me because they hated me. He said that we're going to carry the cross, we're going to die hardship. Can we really, can we really, I, I, honestly, are you, sh- are you sure? Peter Hong with his weakness flaws, he's not very smart. Not, Peter Hong, really, can I really do And it's in that context, feel the weight of what you've been taught all your life. It's in that context that Jesus comes in verse 18 and says, Jesus said what? Then he appeared to me and his words are, all authority has been given to me. Whatever comes after, it doesn't matter. Can I get an amen? Evil and demons always knew the identity of Jesus. So you're the son of God. We're talking about somebody who has all authority. And Jesus says, scared, inadequate, weak disciples. Are you ready for this? I think. He says, my authority goes with you. My power goes with you. I and my presence go with you. Is this good news? Is this good news? If disciple making was up to us, let's just pack up and go home. But the Bible says we're not limited by our power. We're limited by his power. We're not limited by our ability but his ability, Jesus says, therefore, all authority, my authority. As I end this, as I end this, listen, here's how I wanted it. Because as I, was, as I was preparing this, it was on discipleship, it was on discipleship. And these words, all authority, just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I don't do this often, but I sense the Holy Spirit saying the following. And so I'm just going to be obedient. Is that okay? Jesus, I heard Jesus say this. Peter, I need you to tell people that all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And Jesus, I heard this. Jesus and remind somebody who is struggling with addiction that I have authority over that addiction. The decades of being enslaved to addiction, there's freedom in Christ. I heard God say, Peter, tell somebody that I have authority over the souls of their family members who don't know me who've been praying for weeks and months and years and are close to giving up because they're saying, God, do you hear me? I heard Jesus say, I have authority over their souls. Do not give up praying. I heard God say, Peter, I need you to remind somebody whose marriage is, is on the brink and they're asking, can this dead thing come alive? Remind them, Peter, that I have authority over that marriage and they need to bring that under my lordship. To somebody here, I don't know who you are, but somebody here, I heard Jesus say, remind somebody that I have authority over their past, over what's been done by them, done to them, and they're thinking, is there any hope for me? Tell them that their past will not define them because I have authority over their past. 
I have authority in all heaven and on earth. Nothing is impossible with me. Is this good news? I don't know who you are. And I don't know what impossible, seeming, hopeless situation you brought here today. But if you're sitting there going, there's nothing that I can do, you are absolutely right, there's nothing you can do. But the one who has all authority in heaven on earth says to you, I am the God of the impossible. I have authority. Pray with me. The people that I just mentioned who needed to be reminder that we're talking about the Son of God who has conquered Satan, sin, and death and has all the authority in heaven and earth. You struggle with that addiction, porn addiction, drug addiction, alcohol. I don't know what your addictions are, but you came in here thinking, there is no hope for me. I don't know if I can go a day more. I need you to hear. He has authority to give you freedom. Broken, unreconcilable relationships that's literally speaking, maybe dead relationally, you go and can there be resurrection? You're talking about someone who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Bring that under his lordship, child of God. Anyone who's struggling with your past, things done by you and to you, and you're going, man, is there any hope for me? He is a God of redemption. He is a God of healing. He can cleanse you as white as snow. And your past will not define you, child of God. And for anybody sitting in here saying, I don't know if I could actually go and do this making disciples thing, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. I'm sending you. You go in my name. My sheep know my voice. I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in the way that you need to hear him. If it's conviction of sin and you need to repent, repent. Grace and mercy is there. If it's conviction to lift that seemingly impossible thing that you forgot about his authority, bring that to him and saying, God, you need to resurrect this. You need to redeem it. You need to heal it because I can't. And for some of us for whom disciple making is something that we haven't even thought about, let alone done, it's time for us to step up, not in our power, not in our might, but by his spirit and saying, God, I'm ready to be used I'm ready to be used for my kingdom assignment. I surrender. I surrender.